Okay, so thank you, Shane, for joining with me today. I'm obviously in sunny Brisbane. You're obviously in sunny Dubai. And it's really exciting for us for our, and for our customers to have a chat with you about being a travel blogger and how exciting it is. Now, I have read that you were born in Brisbane. When was the last time you visited the River City and what's the most thing that you miss about it? I, I actually was born in Adelaide. I was actually born in Adelaide, but I spent 20 years in Brisbane. And my last day in Brisbane, the day I left, Australia and Brisbane was December 17, 2012 and I haven't been back since and the one thing that I miss, someone actually asked me this last night, the one thing I miss is going to Lang Park to watch the Queensland Maroons play in the State of Origin. Yeah and that uh, first State of Origin for 2014 was last week and New South Wales won. I know, I listened to it online, I listened to it online so I was a little bit devastated but all credit, New South Wales did play with a lot of a lot of courage and heart. Yeah, exactly. Um, alrighty, so uh, when did you start travelling full-time and what made you decide to do that? Well, it, I, I accidentally fell into it. It wasn't my intention. I used to work in a government job in Australia and I was given a redundancy package and I took, I took the pay and left. And my plan was to actually work in a similar office job somewhere in Dubai or the UAE or in the Middle East, I hadn't really decided. But the more I kept travelling, I started to get some offers for people to say, well, why don't you come and speak at this conference or why don't you uh, come on this media trip with us? And by about September last year, so I'd been travelling by approximately nine months by then, I was starting to think, I could actually make a living out of this. And it was quite an interesting realisation. And since I've made that decision, it's actually become easier and easier. So it never really was intended to be my profession. This was just something I happened to fall into, though I'd been working at it a lot while I was passing the time while I was travelling, and then it seemed to take on a life of its own. So that kind of answers the next question, which was how do you fund your travels? Well, that's really interesting and for anyone who's starting, so I'm sure there's quite a few bloggers or aspiring bloggers out there who want to start, I've been mixing with a lot of the biggest bloggers in the world, which I am not, I can assure you, there are hundreds bigger than me, but the general opinion is that you need something to fall back on or something which is a location independent job or location independent skill. So a lot of people will engage in web design, they will do social media training. What I do is how I earn my money now, now that my redundancy pay is well and truly gone, is I earn money through training people in public speaking, because I've been public speaking for more than 20 years, and also in social media. And so I do that through a company here in Dubai, so I basically work ad hoc, it's not a an employment contract, so when they need me I come back into Dubai and do the work. But I also am starting to receive payments now for speaking gigs that I give around the world. So I'm not earning as much money as I do in Australia, I'm nowhere near as much, nowhere near. But the lifestyle is outstanding. So it's, a, it's an okay balance at the moment. Wow, very exciting to think that you can travel and fund it all at the same time, that's amazing. And, and yeah. get rid of the government job. Yeah, and get rid of the government job or got rid of me probably was, was more accurate with a redundancy pay. But I, I think the one thing is to, is to have a skill that you can use when you're on the road. Some people are writers, some as a website designer seem to do very well. 
if you have a job where you need to be in an office, it's going to make trying to do this a little bit more difficult. It's possible. I mean, I was blogging for 10 years, and I was working for the government the whole time. It was just a hobby. I just traveled, and I put something on the, on the web, and that was it. But once I started doing this full time, I noticed that destination organizations approached me differently, because they said, what do you do? And in lieu of anything else, because I was still trying to find work, I just said, well, I'm a blogger. And it was amazing how that worked, because they knew that's all I did full time. Awesome. Difference. So when you do have the funds available, do you prefer to travel by plane or by car? Can I try, can I try train? <laughs> really? <laughs> train, yeah. Train is my favourite travel. I'm actually planning one now from Dar es Salaam and Tanzania, or Tanzania to Zambia. It's about a three-day journey. could be four days, depending on the railway. And uh, I love train travel, but next is car. Next is car. They're definitely being on the land enables you to see the countryside more. I went on my first cruise two months ago. I was speaking above uh, on a cruise boat crossing the Atlantic, and I think that went to number two on my favourite list. I think I even edged out having my own car. It was amazing fun being on a cruise line and being a speaker on a cruise. Incredible fun. Yep, so land or sea, hey? Land or sea, plane. Oh, look, I travel probably one international return flight a month at the moment. So I do like it, but I love seeing the landscape. And you yeah. can't really see it much from above the clouds. Okay, cool. So your blog is called The Travel Camel. What made you choose that name? It was actually chosen for me in a strange way because I had another name originally which was going to be Frivolous Frog. That was that was <laughs> the original name, I know. And I have this real thing for camels. I find them very interesting creatures. Uh, and I made jokes to someone that I'm going to retire with a herd of camels somewhere in the desert in the Middle East and live there and that's how I'll spend out my days. And then someone said to me, you're a, you're a travel camel. And, and I thought, oh, okay. And, that's, and I thought, well, the travel camel, the definite article sounds better than the indefinite. And so I, I came up with the, the travel camel as a result of that. And I've used that as my blogging name for about eight years now, uh, but I only started the website last year. Okay, so um, just reading through your blog, it's about going to places where people dare not tread. Have you always been a thrill seeker? People say, well, you're, you're a thrill seeker or you do dangerous things. I don't. I don't think I do. Yes, okay, I go to Afghanistan and Iraq and North Korea, but I do my research and I don't go to places that are obviously dangerous. So someone asked me the other day, I went to Somaliland, which is a self-declared independent nation from Somalia, and it's very safe. And someone said to me, would you go to Mogadishu? And I said, oh, no way. You'd be a bit mad to go to Mogadishu. Because I know you just have to read reports to know that this is not a place. And I'm not talking about media reports. You talk about traveler reports or people who have been there. And that's where I get my information from. It's never the media. And it's not government advisories generally. It's from people who live there or have traveled there. And they will tell you whether it's safe or not. So I yeah. do my research. So I, I don't consider myself a thrill seeker, but everyone seems to. So I, I suppose I am, but I think the first taste I had of a place that was different from my own culture was Turkey back in 1992, so that was a long time ago, and I was utterly overwhelmed. I, I had culture shock, major culture shock, 
in Istanbul. It was frenetic, it was crazy, it was noisy, there was hassle everywhere, and I just had to get out. Six weeks later, I returned to Istanbul, and I had more of the feel of these sort of countries, and I loved it. <laughs> and since then, I started traveling, and then I had a bit of a hiatus for a while, and the more I've gone to these places, the more I've enjoyed them. So the Middle East is my favorite region, and then I thought, well, why don't I go a little bit deeper into these places? And and that's how it happened. Afghanistan came about because someone told me Afghanistan was the most beautiful place they had ever seen. I'm not correct. It was, and it is. Uh, someone told me Somaliland was one of the friendliest and safest places they've ever visited, so I traveled. And these were other people who I know who were travelers, and they've kind of inspired me to go to these places. So a lot of uh, people would consider those places dangerous. Um, you've never felt that you've been in a situation where you have been endangered? No, never. Never. There are two situations that come to mind. Is And the one thing I have to say is that not every part of a country is dangerous, even though people think it's dangerous. Now, to give you a perfect example, the Brisbane floods. Now, I was in the middle of the Brisbane floods in 2010. I had water around me. Uh, I lost power for eight days. Yet, I have friends. I could have walked half an hour, and they never lost power. You wouldn't have even known there was a flood on. So when you see danger perceived in a place, it's normally quite limited. It's just like I was in Bangkok during one of the protests. You would have hardly noticed it was going on because only a small section of Bangkok was being affected. So if people say to you that Iraq is very dangerous, well, there are, Kirkuk is very dangerous, and Baghdad you have to be very cautious of. But Erbil, which is the capital of uh, the, in the region of Kurdistan, or the Kurdish region of Iraq, to give it its proper name, is very safe. Uh, Somaliland has got, Somalia has some very bad areas, but Somaliland, which is a self-declared territory again, Hargissa is one of the safest cities I've ever seen, safer than any city I've seen in Australia. So wow. you, you have to decide on what is, where are the dangerous areas or not. So I do my research. You have to do your research. If you go to these places without doing your research, that is, that is dangerous because you're putting yourself at risk then. You really yeah, are. So you need to do the research. That's the, there's some great tips there for anyone that's considering doing the same thing. Um, so Shane, so you are a public speaker. You do coaching for public speaking. Uh, you also co-host a radio show um, called The Travel Show. Which among, which among these careers do you enjoy the most? Okay, my, my favourite without a doubt is the public speaking. I've done that for more than 20 years. I joined Toastmasters International, which is a non-profit speaking organization. I joined it first at Southport Toastmasters on the Gold Coast, and then when I moved to Brisbane in 1993, I joined Young Achievers at QUT Toastmasters, and I farewelled them in December 2012, very sadly. But I would recommend anyone who wants to get involved in public speaking, go to a club, try different clubs. It's like a car. Not everyone likes the same cars, and not everyone's going to like the same club. Try it out and see how you feel. I, I love it. I think the, the thrill I get speaking in front of a big audience, and a big audience I'm talking about, three, four, five hundred, is extraordinary. Uh, the, the speech I gave in Malaysia, which I called Once Upon a Time, I think that's probably the most incredible speaking moment I've had in 20 years of public speaking. There was an intensity, 500 people, and you could have heard someone breathe. I was describing meeting a, a, 
a gentleman when I was in Afghanistan who was hiding from the Taliban and I was trying to explain the story of, of his life and it was such an intense environment and you could just feel it. I'm getting chills talking about it now. And to know that you can stand and convey that story and have people emotionally impacted by it is it's it's exhilarating. It's it's as fun as crossing a border into Afghanistan or Yemen or <laughs> into North Korea. It's extremely exhilarating. Uh, and, and and the radio show, I must say, is I'm only an occasional presenter. They have two presenters, but one one of them goes on holidays or is on a media trip, which one is next week. I'll go in and I'll co-host the show for a few days, and and I love it. It's great fun. Get to talk about travel with uh, the whole community in the Dubai. Wonderful. Fantastic. So it sounds like you get a great adrenaline rush from speaking. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. It, and it's nervous. It's really nervous. And people say to me, one of the hints, people say, I, I get nervous when I speak. And I say, well, that's good. I still get nervous when I speak after 20 years. If you don't have nerves, then you give a very flat delivery and a very flat performance. The object is, the secret is to turn that nerves and turn it into an energy and give it, give it some power and give it some passion when you're up there. And, th and that's really the secret. So nerves are good. You just need yeah. to control them. Now, you do wear a hat, very similar to Indiana Jones, and you happen to have it on today, which is awesome. Are you a fan of Harrison Ford's famous character? Well, I am, and it is actually an Indiana Jones hat. It is actually an Indiana Jones hat. Just wait, I'll just show you. Hang on, see if you can see it. Uh, look, there it is, look. Yep, yep. Yep, there it is. So it is actually an Indiana Jones hat, and I have two. I, this is one, and this is my other, and, and there's a reason for both. So there's the other one. This, I had one that I had for five years, and it started falling apart. In Somaliland, I knew that it was starting to look really shabby. So I ordered two new ones, and the one I'm wearing now is for my official function. So when I'm giving presentations, I wear this. When I'm going to conferences, I wear this. When I'm on Google Hangouts, I will wear this. Uh, when I'm traveling, when I was on the cruise boat, I wore it. When I'm going on adventures, this will stay because this is the beautiful fur felt one, uh, and this is a crushable soft one. So this I can crush like this, and it's going to be fine. It's just going to pop back into shape, if you can see. Look at that amazing demonstration there. Uh, so it'll pop back into shape. With this one, if you crush, it stays crushed. So that when I go to Africa, the other one will come with me. I bought it because I saw it in a store on the Sunshine Coast. I was in the Sunshine Coast I was with a friend, and I thought, gee, this is a nice-looking hat, isn't it? <laughs> so I put it on, knowing it was an Indiana Jones hat, and my friend who was with me at the time, Fee, looked at it and said, wow, that looks really good on you. And I looked at myself, and, and females are better judges than males. We're hopeful for this sort of stuff. And if she said it looked good, then you know it must have looked good. So I have worn it, and I wear it because I like it. it it's, people think it's a brand. Well, it's not. It's become a brand now. People don't recognize me without it. But I originally bought it because I just liked it. Uh, and am I a fan of the Harrison Ford character? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have all the movies on DVD, and I love the music, and... Uh, I don't get into the fights he does, and I don't drink alcohol, so I don't get in those drunken brawls that he seems yeah. to end up in. Uh, but I, that sense of adventure that brought those movies, I saw all of them in the cinema. I remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark in the cinema back in the early 80s, and I was just taken away. It was a wonderful movie, apart from the scene with the spiders, because I hate spiders. Absolutely, I hate them. 
But apart from that scene, it is a movie that I can watch again and again and again, and I have. And there's something very romantic about it. And so people think what I do is probably romantic as well, just traveling and exploring and making a living on the road. So it's probably a good, a good match, I think. So back when you were watching those movies, would you ever have thought that this would be your life today? Never, never, absolutely never, never, ever. I mean, when I joined Toastmasters in 1990, if you told me someone was going to fly me across to America, put me on a cruise boat to give eight speeches about destinations I've visited, I would never have believed you. And even a year ago, I wouldn't have believed you. But now, it, it's happening. And I, I, I'm laughing because I still don't believe it. It was never intended this way. I keep saying to people, this was never planned. I'm just doing what I love, which is public speaking, which is traveling, which is photographing, which is writing. This is what I love to do. And, and it's just happened. So I could never have imagined it. It's, I, I wake up some mornings and I, I, I can't believe what I'm doing. And, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You're your own, your own business owner. So it's a lot mm. of work. But it's an amazing lifestyle. Definitely inspiring, that's for sure. And I suppose you need to pinch yourself every day to remind yourself that it's actually real for you. Um, now, so if you were, if your life was created into a movie, which Hollywood actor would you want to play yourself? The one that I would choose is somebody that people thought I looked a lot like in my younger days. So it's not Harrison Ford. He's far more handsome than me. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually James Woods. James Woods. He was in the movie Salvador and he was in a couple of gangster movies. Quite a thin face like mine. And when I was in my 20s, we did look quite similar. I think he's a bit different now. I think I've looked worse and he's looked better as, as the years have gone on. But, but James Woods w would be my choice. There's, and he has a, a bit of intensity about him. When I speak, I speak quite intensely because I have a lot of passion about my life and what I do. And, and he tends to speak the same way on the screen. He has that demeanor about him. So he'd be a good choice. Awesome. Um, so your life sounds so hectic and busy and travelling everywhere and talking and speaking to a lot of people. What do you have to do to relax? What, what are some things that you have to do so you know you're relaxing? I don't get a lot of time now. Uh, anyone who's ever run their own business knows you don't get a lot of time to relax and you're always on the job. So even when I'm supposed to be relaxing, I'm checking Twitter. <laughs> I'm checking uh, Google Plus. I'm checking Facebook. There's always something happening. Uh, relax. I play solitaire board games. Believe it or not, I carry these little boxes of solitaire board games with me, which I play occasionally, and I just escape for a while. I love choral music. Believe it or not, I love choral music, uh, especially Venetian polyphony from I think it's the 15th century. So it's a very, it's a very narrow niche that one, and I I love it. Music helps me relax. I, I do need at some stage to go to an island somewhere without internet and sit for a week. And I have been planning it, but I just haven't made it yet. And I, I will have to do that at some stage. I'm thinking of when I'm in Victoria Falls, actually. I'm thinking of going to Victoria Falls uh, in July, August. And when I'm there, I think I'm just going to disconnect from the world for a few days and just enjoy the the amazing natural beauty and some of the activities there and just just remove myself for a little bit I think yeah technology definitely is 
um, fantastic for our world today, isn't it? But it does definitely stop us from having the, the nine to five jobs that we used to all have. Yeah, and I come home relax every day after work, but now definitely we have to, um, like you said, you're going to have to block out a whole week and consciously not take any electronics with you so that you can actually <laughs> relax. Do, do you know a great place to relax is actually on planes. On yep. planes, I, I virtually do nothing. So the beauty with being here in Dubai, I'm only eight hours to Europe, I'm a few hours to Africa, I'm eight hours to Asia, which is why I love it here because I'm the centre of everything. But my last flight I took, which was back from Germany after giving another presentation there, I just watched a couple of movies on TV, listened to music, did nothing else, just relaxed. There was no one in the seat beside me, so it was very comfortable. Uh, that's when I tend to really unwind, is on a, on a plane. So uh, aside from not being able to relax too often, do you ever get to sit down and just think about the future and what the future holds for you? Oh, constantly. I'm quite a deep thinker. And because I travel on my own, and I do all this on my own, there's no one staying with me here in Dubai, and I travel most times on my own, not always, but most times I travel on my own, I have a lot of time to reflect. <laughs> so I do think about the future, and it's impossible to predict. I, until last night, I didn't know where I was staying tomorrow night. Uh, and, and I still don't know where I'm staying tomorrow night in Dubai <laughs> here. I have to... I have to move, but I think I've found a place which is near to where I have to deliver some training and nearer to the radio station, so I think I'm heading there. But I don't know. I really, I know I'm intending to go to Romania later this month, and I'm getting offers all the time, all the time. I know that I have at least two speaking gigs in Europe coming up. I can't really reveal those at the moment. And I can't tell you what I'm doing month to month because everything changes so dramatically. Uh, my, my website really focuses on uh, places that people rarely travel, so you know, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Somaliland, and a few others are appearing in there as I travel. But I'm getting offers now from people to say, well, we'd like you to report on this luxury destination, or we'd like you to go to this destination, which is a bit more standard as a tourist destination, and photograph it. And and these offers come up and they happen very quickly, so I have no idea what the future holds. I, I, I can't even imagine. I just don't imagine. And I don't plan because then if, if you plan, it actually, to a degree, it actually narrows your options. So mm -hmm. I think it's good to have goals, and I have goals, but what, what I discovered about doing what I've done in the last year is that uncertainty liberates you. And wow. if, you can deal with the, if you can deal with the uncertainty and not knowing what you're going to be doing in the next two months or three months, you open yourself to everything. If you plan everything ahead, you close yourself to options. And this is coming from a guy who planned every holiday meticulously. I, I would plan, I could tell you exactly where I landed, I could tell you any day where I'd be, what's the train, what's the flight number, and everything. And that was me. And now, I... I don't even know where I'm staying tomorrow night. I haven't even booked. And this is the life I've had to adjust to. So it's not for everyone. You have to be able to understand that uncertainty. It's not for everyone. But if you can deal with it, it's quite remarkable. And so you've obviously evolved, though, from being the organised planner um, to being one that is now able to be flexible with what happens. 
So having said that, if um, we use that as some advice for anyone who wants to become a new blogger, have you got any other tips that they may be able to use? Oh, definitely. When I've spoken in Malaysia, Malaysia Social Media Week, I've spoken there a couple of years now and I'm being invited back next year. There is a belief amongst quite a few bloggers there, and it's not uncommon to Malaysia, is that you will get involved in blogging so you can make a lot of money. <laughs> well, I have news for you. You don't. <laughs> you don't. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's about the lifestyle. It's about the dream. And then this is this is what you pursue. If you go into blogging for the sake of making money, travel blogging, you best look elsewhere. You really need to look elsewhere. Uh, the model that most people have now for making money rarely involves advertising. Rarely involves advertising. You're not going to make a lot of money from advertising. It is bringing in other services. I would say have money behind you first. Number one, have money behind you. Two, you're going to work very, very hard for not a lot of return for quite a time. Okay, so you need to be prepared for that. And three, if you can have some other financial backing and not just your blogging, then do so. So I teach people in public speaking and speech writing and I teach them in writing for the web and social media. That's what I do. And I, and I talk to other people about the relationship between bloggers, people like me, and the travel industry. So these are the sort of talks I do. I get... I get paid for these, which is great because if I didn't get paid for these, I'd be sleeping in the streets now. Uh, in probably in Africa, I suspect, was the only place I could afford to live. <laughs> so that would be that would be very helpful if I was a if I was able to get money from these things. So I I would recommend that you have something that you can take with you, a skill that you can take that you can do on a contract basis or consultancy basis. That if you wanted to do this seriously. Uh, but don't go in for making money. Go in because, remember, travel Travel is a dream. Travel is something that people fantasize about. It's, it's something they make memories of. Uh, they, they can laugh with their friends 10 years in the future and talk about the wonderful time they had in Madrid, for example, or it might be they attended a wonderful spa in Bangkok. And can you remember the service we had there? Or could, there could be a beach resort walking with the person they loved hand in hand along a beach as the sun slowly set. And, and this is stuff that memories are made of. And that's what travel is. It's about dreams. And you need to remember that's what travel is. Yeah, it, it's going to be a business if you want to do what I do. And you have to think that way. But at its core, you have to have the love for it. And you have to have the passion for it. And if you don't have that, and if you don't really have that, and you don't believe it, and you don't love it, then don't do it. Just don't do it. Just be a hobby blogger and do it as a as a bit of a fun, and you'll get a few benefits here and there. But if if it is something that's running through your blood, truly running through your blood, then give it a go. Awesome! And what better way to end our interview with such inspirational uh, speech? There. Thank you so much, Shane, for spending some time with us, and hopefully inspiring a little bit of travel bug in all of us to come out and experience the world like you're experiencing. Thank you very much for having me. Outdoor.